every night of all teams. Went out and played like swaggering dandies as the Hamlet do. An absolute humdinger from about 25 yards. Get it. Swaggering dandies. An absolute humdinger. Hello and welcome to Ford the Hamlet. My name is Ben Sibley and you join me today on the first day of spring after a rather momentous game at Champion Hill on the Saturday just gone. Before I introduce my regular sidekick, I just want to go through a slight bit of housekeeping. We are once again in the Dulwich Hamlet boardroom. This time there is no fridge. We have found the switch to turn it off. Uh, however, there are some pretty loud noises coming from upstairs. I believe it is the gym, so if you hear shaking and it sounds like the entire place is going to fall down, that's what that is. Without further ado, uh, here is my psychic, Mr. Hugo Greenhouse. Good evening, Ben. How's it going? Uh, yeah, we've already had to negotiate uh, an Aspire parents' evening to get to this boardroom, but uh, here we are. Hopefully the thudding will subside a little bit. At least we've managed to uh, turn the fridge off. I think probably we should remind ourselves what happened on Saturday uh, with some audio from Dulwich Hamlet TV commentator, Mr. Tom Bale. I managed to condense Saturday's game into 60 seconds somehow. So uh, here we go. Uh, enjoy the madness and we'll see you afterwards. Anthony Cook pulls it back and it is 1-0 and Akademi scores this time. He wasn't going to miss a second time. The referee gave Dulles the advantage and he is going to get another yellow card. It's a red card for Hervé. Gets about 20 yards out now onto his left boot. He does drive it in. Excellent second goal from Ferguson. And Akademi's onside. Gets the ball first. Round the keeper. 3-0 surely. He goes the wrong side of the post. Shot from distance coming in and it's gone in. So some referees in heated conversation with uh, Jamie Richards who's He's got a red card. It's Banton for 2-2, surely. Then Vos brings in. That is a penalty. Oh, what are Dulwich doing? Jason Banton's won a penalty. This is shambolic defending from Dulwich Hamlet. They are throwing this game away. Vos has been sent off. Rilo steps up. Sends Edwards the wrong way. That's going down the middle. It's 2-2. Somehow keeps hold of the ball. Still with Luke Winadio. Gets in the shot. Yes! Yes, Luke Winadio! You beauty! He's fired in a shot from distance and Dulwich are back in the lead. Wow. I'm still recovering from that. I don't know about you. It sounds like Tom Vale might be. Absolutely, yeah. Vocal cords strained after that. Um, what a ludicrous game that was. Five goals, three red cards, or as we've come to start calling it, uh, three times catch-up, which I quite like. Yeah, double, not just double catch-up, treble catch-up. Treble uh, catch-up. On Saturday. And plenty of mustard to boot. <laughs> um, but where to start with that I mean I think we begin with a rumour which you very quietly whispered in my ear just after the game kicked off yeah far from a careless whisper it was a uh, rather scandalous whisper that I heard from um, second hand from some Churro fans that seven Churro players had been at the Gold Cup in Cheltenham uh, on Friday and failed to turn up for the game. So Churro arrived with 14 players. They had three subs on the bench and seven first team players absent. So I think when I heard this, I was fairly confident we were going to get a result, but I didn't think it was going to pan out in this way by any means. But I mean... <laughs> if, if that rumour is true, 
That is scandalous. It is. I yeah. mean, if if we'd actually done our research properly and we actually put a bit more effort into this, we would have been able to look at their lineup and actually decipher whether or not seven first teamers were missing. However, I always feel with that kind of thing, there is no smoke without fire. As in, it happened. Yeah. Surely. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, we should we should say that this is all uh, conjecture as far as we're concerned, but I mean, it's believable. Um, and you did think actually as, as the game began that Truro are obviously down the bottom of the league, blow us. Well, no, we were level on points, weren't we? Um, and the game began and we looked like the stronger team. Um, and Dippo missed a very good chance after about 25 minutes um, there's a ball flashed across the box from memory and uh, he could have got anything on it he could have got his chest on it his head he could have tried some sort of ridiculous scissor kick he did none of those things he just kind of yeah ran at it and didn't didn't get anything didn't on it, do did anything yeah um, at, at which point also I wanted to mention this um, very briefly because it's a bit, bit of a negative point but throughout that entire first half there's a group of three lads who I think one of them is a Crystal Palace fan. He's wearing a, uh, the classic London league football goer attire of a Baker Boy hat. Uh, I think he was a Palace fan. I think they're all in their early 20s. I think there's one Borough fan who had the uh, accent for it to be authentic. And they had another mate. And they were spitting fire for the whole first half. Um, and chaining pints, getting through a pint probably every 10 or 15 minutes. When Dippo missed that chance, the Palace fan, I'll never forget this, he ran down the steps towards the railings, giving it two fingers, saying, you're fucking shit, you're fucking shit, at Dippo, as he's distraught, walking back away from the goal after missing a sitter. And everyone just kind of turned around and looked at him and thought, what are you doing? What? Doesn't exactly help a man's confidence, does it, when you no. met with that sort of reaction? Not the sort of reaction we're used to seeing at Champion Hill. No. So... Uh, yeah, fortunately, these inc- incidences are in the in the minority, aren't they? There were two moments though that um, made that particular moment uh, quite joyous in the end. And the first one was very swiftly after when um, the first goal occurred, and exactly. it was Dippo. It was, yep, yeah. uh, nice little move. Uh, Clunas broke down the right, kind of beat a foul. The advantage was given, I think, and he played it through to Cookie on the overlap, ball in and Dippo's at the back post to, to smash it home. Hit it quite high into the net. I was a little bit worried it was going to go over, but it was a goal nonetheless and uh, a very, you know, big celebration for the man to... Uh, I was going to say it was a very emotional celebration. Yeah, it was. Um, clearly a player who's lacking confidence a bit and knowing that he's having a lot of chances and not necessarily always taking them. So I think to get a goal... Uh, uh, relatively early on especially after missing quite a big chance was obviously pretty important for him but not quite the full story of the day as we'll we'll find out (laughs) I mean that was just the beginning of what actually turned out to be 90 minutes of carnage or I suppose from that point an hour of carnage Um, the rest of the first half up until the break was actually relatively nondescript Uh, not too much happened I think we were kind of on top really Um, and Truro uh, player Michael Hervey uh, got a yellow card for a very late challenge uh, at one point. Uh, and then as it came towards the break, 
there was another very late challenge in the centre of the pitch. Uh, the referee played on. This is a challenge by Michael Hervey. Referee played on and, and Nathan Green ran onto a ball that was claimed by the Truro goalkeeper. That's from the gym. That sounds like someone's squatting about 200 kilograms. <laughs> Jesus. Not as much as us, obviously. Um, Not close. But yeah, the play broke down and then the referee returned and uh, booked Michael Hervey, who was already trudging off the pitch, head down, not really that bothered about being sent off. He wanted to go and meet the lads in Cheltenham, didn't he? <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was a performance of real nonchalance, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, he didn't he didn't really want to be there. Disinterest. Um, we have since found out that he uh, he began his career at uh, PSG. Uh, played in the under 19s there, so perhaps used to doing doing it on a bigger stage of, of some sort. But uh, he couldn't knock it at Champion Hill, that's for sure. Um, so, did anything else happen in that half, or did we? No, it was kind of um, it was nicely bookended by that red card. A very, it was very swiftly the halftime break after that. Yeah, because we'd been on top already, and you felt like going in a goal up that against ten men. Like the lads should have this. They shouldn't, you know. We should get a few more in the second half, sort of thing. Yeah, especially against a team that's poor away from home and yeah. struggling at the bottom of the league with us. Exactly. Um, and then it was quite early into the second half, maybe the 48th or 49th minute, that uh, your boy Nathan Ferguson, Fergie, uh, grabbed the ball about 25 yards out. Um, took his time on the ball actually, kind of moved left, moved right, moved left again, and then drilled home a left-footed shot into the keeper's bottom left-hand corner. Maybe slightly wind assisted, or I'm not not sure if it was far enough off the ground to be wind assisted. <laughs> he might maybe he was the keeper was slightly unsighted. I'm not entirely sure. Fergie hit it nicely though. Yeah, it, it he looked like he it was a very precise hit just beyond the keeper's reach, dinged in off the post um, for about sort of 20 25 yards. Um, always nice to see Fergie get a goal. I think uh, you know it's been on record before that I'm a big fan of uh, his his style of play, and I think. He really moves the ball forward well. He always, you know, takes that touch, then looks out, looks to play it, looks to move with it, looks to do something with it. And I think, yeah, just a few more goals to that game and you can have a real real player on your hands. I always think when I watch him is that there are rarely players who are, are truly two-footed and are as comfortable moving with the ball on both sides and have that balance, which suggests that they could go either way and then play the ball off either foot. The only player I can think of to compare him to um, is Adam Lalana in that sense, because the same with Lalana, you don't know which way he's going to go because you know whether it's playing a pass or playing a Cruyff turn or dropping a shoulder, they seem to be quite ambidextrous. Um, and Fergie is very, very similar to that in that he can go either way, and that unsettles his markers quite often, and that's what happened for the goal they didn't know whether to close down his right foot or his left foot and then he got half a yard and hit it with his left yeah no I'm sure he'd like that uh, Adam Lallana comparison that's just reminded me of quite a funny meme that I saw a few weeks ago which was uh, name a more iconic duo than Adam Lallana and the Cruyff turn <laughs> and I think someone had just quote tweeted and said maybe Johan Cruyff <laughs> um, but maybe we'll start seeing the Ferguson turn soon the sort of touch and give and go kind of Maneuver that he seems to be very good at. But, For um, a man of such physical stature, both in height and in body composition, he doesn't half move quite smoothly and quite agile. He does. I think he's he's very enjoyable to watch. And uh, 
we're big pushers of the Nathan Ferguson is actually good movement. Um, shout out uh, Jack Pitbrook for coining that one. Um, but yeah, I could I could wax lyrical about him all day, but unfortunately the the performance started to curtail a little bit after the second goal. Very uh, swiftly after that, Truro fell to pieces essentially, <laughs> and I remember despite. Um, having as always quite a poor view of play from behind the goal they were playing an incredibly high line their two center backs were marshalling that back line up towards the center circle and i wasn't really sure why when you've got cookie and iron down the right nathan green down the left along with maskell and then dippo through the middle it didn't yeah. really make any sense and quite a strong headwind that was causing yeah. all sorts of havoc yeah. for both teams yeah yeah it seemed a very risky game to be playing and especially with 10 men yeah and two goals down it was bizarre and it was no surprise when dippo got put through on goal um through arian takbash ball over the top put through on goal keeper came out to the edge of his box to close him down dippo very calmly took the ball past him and he, it's an open goal from the edge of the box and it's on his right foot and he side foots it and you're thinking you, you can't you cannot miss this but as soon as he side footed it i was pretty much in line with him as soon as he hit it i knew it wasn't going in and it didn't go in and i don't know if i've seen a worse miss than that at Champions yeah League. and he was on his knees Nyron had to pick him up it's one of those ones isn't it like for anyone who's played football you do get that moment sometimes when you're presented with an open goal and you think like oh god like what do I do here like I literally just have to hit it into the back of the net but this fear creeps over you and you know more often than not you probably score it but you do just worry that you're gonna miss it and he missed it and I think it is this for Dippo it's so much a mental game like he's obviously a good player he has the beating of many of these defenders that we've seen in this division you know, he he's he's scored in in League Two, I believe, hasn't he? He's 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 done it, but I think he just doesn't always back himself. And when he does miss the big chances, they kind of come back to haunt him. And it it just oh, you you obviously want him to see see him do so well, but yeah, it was heartbreaking to see that well, it unfold. Was, it was pure panic. Yeah, as far as I could see, he he took it around the keeper and then just completely panicked. And it raises a question after he's already scored in the game yes he missed that big sitter earlier on in the game then he scored and then you think right I've scored um, Fergie's just scored as well they're down to 10 men I'm going to roll this into the empty net and I think maybe emotion just took over and anxiety and he just snatched at it he's still only is he 21 still maybe yeah. 22 so that might come but it's a bit worrying that not worrying but it's quite um, I don't know what the right right word is it, I think it says a lot about his mentality as a football player that that would happen yeah and then not long after that he had another pretty good chance that probably 90 seconds afterwards yeah and it would have taken us quite a special finish to get it in the back of the net but he kind of just scuffed at it and hit it straight at the keeper when like you know if he had kind of the momentum behind him a bit more you think, oh, you know, at least he's going to, like, try and get the shot off that's going to hit the back of the net. Um, what Thierry Henry would do for an opportunity like that. <laughs> had a, had that sort of inside-of-the-boot curled finish written all over it, but yeah, uh, it wasn't going to happen, was it? Um, yeah, it was... And speaking of Thierry Henry, actually, 
<laughs> we should which just, I which I often am funny enough. We should have just let you segue into that smoothly. I shouldn't have said anything. Um, yeah, it was only about maybe five minutes after that that uh, Churro's Alex Battle picked up the ball about twenty five yards from goal um, on a pass from the left wing, and he shaped and belted, stuck his foot right through the back of the ball, caught it really cleanly. Bearing in mind he's shooting into a headwind. The wind isn't with him. So he's absolutely slammed the ball home over Preston Edwards and into the roof of the net from about 25 yards. Um, and you mentioned Thierry Henry. The first goal that came to my mind was Thierry Henry against Roy Carroll at Highbury in the early 2000s, maybe 2004 or something, um, which swerved and just almost went straight through Carroll, but slightly over him. Um, and at the time, I, th- you know, I was really pleased with myself. I exclaimed that... Oh yeah, instantly almost. I was very pleased with myself. I said, "Oh, that's like a Thierry Henry against uh, Andy Carroll at Highbury." At which point, uh, I think it was Joey Millar actually who used to write for the uh, Southwark News. If I think I'm right, him and his pals in front of me just creased over laughing, which uh, was totally deserved. <laughs> uh, I'm, I must admit, um, but the thought was there. So then it's two-one. It's still eleven men against nine. Um, and you're still thinking we've Is got it 11 the, against 9 or 11 against 10? Sorry, 11 against 10. Yeah. So it's still 11 against 10. It's 2 1. You're still thinking it's the classic 11 against 10. Keep the ball. If you keep moving the ball, you're always going to have a man over. There shouldn't be any pressure on the ball at any given moment, maybe until you get into the final third of the pitch. That is not what we did. No. What did we do? Kept it in the middle and tried to run at them. It was bizarre. I didn't really see anybody taking responsibility and kind of whispering in people's ears it's 11 against 10 keep calm keep the ball keep it moving the ball will move quicker than the men just keep them moving across the pitch and spaces will appear you'll have a bit of time on the ball I didn't see anybody taking responsibility no um no <laughs> neither did I um and then not long after that um some sort of incident happened where we won a corner and uh, Truro's captain Jamie Richards Jamie Richards did not like that decision and he was berating the linesman wasn't he Yeah. and uh, the referee came over kind of took one look at it and gave him a second yellow yeah he'd already been booked so he essentially got a second yellow card for moaning which as a captain when you're down to 10 men already losing 2-1 away from home <laughs> questions have got to be asked there right? yeah you've got to, you've got his to keep role your head as captain. Um, I th- I felt a little bit unlucky. It's not very clear watching it on the highlights how serious this barracking that he gave the linesman actually was. But you know, the officials obviously thought it was enough to warrant a second yellow. And um, I was quite surprised because usually in those situations, even though this shouldn't affect a referee's actions, maybe that he'd already sent a man off. Maybe you think if you hear a few choice words to the linesman I might not send him off I might just put him to one side and say yeah. look you're very close yeah yeah. it was almost refreshing to see because you, pro- you probably felt that's probably how the Truro captain was thinking along those lines like oh I'll be able to get away with this I'm just frustrated I'll vent a bit of anger here about the fact that we're losing and you know only showing up with 14 players today but um, yeah quite an impressive feat for for this depleted churro side to go down to even less resources by getting a second man sent off 
But um, so there's seven in Cheltenham. There's two in the shower. Two in the shower. Nine on the pitch. Nine on the pitch and three on the bench. <laughs> um, uh, and we we sit here laughing now because uh, we can as uh, events transpired to go in our favour in the end. However, um, very shortly after uh, the game turned into uh, eleven against nine. Um, I don't like to call players out, but it was Quay Taylor at the back who made a mess of a clearance. Um, and then I think almost he kind of paused and then made a mess of a second clearance. It was then picked up on the right wing just outside the box by a Truro player. He swung the ball into the six yard box. And, Quay uh, was completely out of position by this point, too. It didn't even look like he was playing the ball. Yeah. Like, he just totally lost concentration altogether. Slice that second clearance, ball comes in, and Dominic Vos, who'd only come on as a substitute about five minutes previously, really had no choice but to bring the man down. Yeah. He was basically going to The take man was shot. Jason Banton, former uh, low knee that we've had this season. Yeah. Good mm. observation. So Vos good, brings good down. Good to see him make an impact at last. <laughs> Vos brings down Banton um, and is consequently sent off. You feel that was slightly harsh? Uh, I just felt like I don't know it's one of these ones where I think this idea of like being the last man has kind of lost its meaning as a phrase because like it was one of those ones where if Vos doesn't bundle him over the guy is probably going to score but also the foul in in and of itself is very innocuous it was Jason Banton he might not have done <laughs> that's a good point um, but you know what I mean? Like that foul anywhere else on the pitch is going to be a booking. Maybe not even a booking. But the referee's done it because he's been denied like a clear goal-scoring opportunity, which it would have been. So I don't know. It's one of these ones where like you're awarding a penalty, maybe just balance it out of the booking. What do you think? When I saw it at the time, I think. Um in the heat of the moment I looked at it and obviously because it's down the other end of the pitch from where we are behind the goal yeah I, I didn't have the depth of vision to understand exactly what position players were in I thought it was probably a red card mm. um, and I almost kind of accepted it and almost thought we deserved it after the way we messed that defensive play up yeah, to yeah. be honest yeah it's almost irrelevant isn't it yeah um, however having watched the highlights I th- I agree with you I think at the most it's a yellow card mm. um, but the referee was being very catch up uh, catch up happy wasn't he fan of condiments fan of condiments yeah but no mustard this time straight for the ketchup straight for the ketchup I tend to go straight for the ketchup actually over the mustard so man after my own heart <laughs> um, yeah about the only thing you have in common with him <laughs> it was uh, Connor Riley Lowe who stepped up for Truro and belted the penalty down the middle um, Preston dived away and uh, the ball went straight down the middle of his goal um, so then that's, a, that's just off the cuff that's another penalty yeah like yeah so why would we want to tap up with Tom Bale? How many penalties have we conceded this season? Yeah. Seems like a hell of a lot. Silly mistakes. Because there was one in the St. Albans game last weekend, which we'll yeah. touch on in a little bit. Barely. But um It's it's lack of concentration. It always is and like Which we I, talked about before, game management, concentration. I like you say I don't like to call out players either, but like th- these couple of mistakes, a double header of mistakes from Quade Taylor was just like Oh, it's frustrating to watch because you know he's going to be the one kicking himself the most. 
and he's been such a good player this season and I still wouldn't start anyone else ahead of him or Chambers but yeah there have been quite a few gaffes this season that have cost us direct goals yeah like you say he's been playing so well and yet there's still that tendency to lose concentration and to make silly mistakes which lead us to be in a position where it's now 10 men versus 9 and out of nowhere it's 2-2 and I can't remember a time behind the goal at Champion Hill where the mood has nosedived so quickly exactly because there's such you know there was a carefree abandon it was almost a carnival atmosphere yeah yeah from one of the first times this season yeah that's why because you were enjoying it for the first time in so long yeah like oh we're we're actually going to win a game comfortably without anything to worry about crack open another beer yeah have a bit of a laugh yeah but um, that was not to be, was it? And we made it. We made it very difficult for ourselves. And I think it was quite miraculous that the team managed to find it themselves to to get this one over the line. And um, it was that man, Luke Quinadio, who uh, who scored the winner. Really nice goal, actually. Again, it was quite a similar one to the Ferguson one, and he's, he really took his time on the ball, waited till he had the goal in sight to let the shot off, right in the corner, and. Um, you know, quite rightly celebrated it pretty, uh, pretty emphatically. The Pied Piper came out, didn't it? I loved his celebration. I couldn't see it at the time because uh, it was absolute limbs behind the goal. It really was. Um, so I didn't realise his celebration, but he, yeah, he ran behind the goal and did a nice little Pied Piper routine. <laughs> his first goal since returning to the club on loan from Aldershot. Yeah. Uh, he was with us a few seasons ago. Um, Gav said in his post-match interview that he's a player that can play at a high level, as he has done with Aldershot. Uh, and he looked very handy when he came on. He looked like he wanted to make a point. I thought some of his touches were very nice. His first touch was good. He had confidence. He was taking on his men. Uh, and that finish, as you say, was very nice. Two very accurate, well-hit finishes from outside the box from both Fergie and Wanadio. So suggests maybe they've been working on a bit of shooting and training, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you don't shoot, you don't score, don't you? So, yeah, it's good to see some of the midfielders actually having a go from there. Um, you know, We've we've talked about Dippo at length already on this pod, but you know I always feel the burden shouldn't rely solely on a striker to get you goals. And if they're coming from the midfield, Nathan Green's been pretty prolific from from the wing position um, in recent games. Like that's that's the way you you get big results. And from now on into the end of the season, we need a few more of those to get us over the line and make sure we survive in this division. Um, it was actually a significant three points for us in the end given that the majority of teams around us all dropped points um, yeah. and it actually moved us up to 15th place um, the dizzying heights of 15th place yes about the highest we've been well it's probably the highest we've been this year probably for quite a little while before that calendar year calendar year yeah, yeah. Um, there's always such a nice feeling when you check football web pages after a game and you look at the results around you on the league table and it's all just orange and red. Yeah. There's nothing better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it feels good. And kind of putting it back in our own hands a bit more. Like I think there's just been this sense that, oh, you know, we'll, we've got to just keep playing and hope that the teams below us drop points. And obviously you do hope that, but we've got to be the ones to show initiative and finish the season on a high, have players like kicking a bit of form and making sure we kind of keep 
a core unit together which we can then build on and actually do something with next season because it's been way too inconsistent as as we say every pod like it it's not good enough but at least if we start showing a bit more confidence then it's going to carry us carry us through with a bit more momentum yeah i totally agree the only thing i'd say is that it's a bit of a shame that i think two of the players who've really helped us in recent weeks um jamie maskell and arian takbash both on loan and the likelihood of them staying past the end of the season particularly for mask is very low um he's come back from charlton twice the player he was when he left us after he came through the Aspire Academy he is really he's too good for the Conference South he's yeah. a real player now yeah it's it's nice to see in a way and you know obviously as you say it's not sustainable in the long term that he'll stay with us we don't quite know what his level will be yet but you know he's definitely better than, than our league at the moment and um, you always you know you always want your, your graduates to do well and he is doing really well um I would say the the flip side to that is that he is playing in a position that we can probably find a good replacement for. Like it helps to have great fullbacks, and he is one. But we don't even know if that's going to be his position long term. He's just kind of playing there because we needed to fill that role after we moved Nathan Green forward and Nathan Mavilla carted off to Canada. Um, so. You know, obviously, I'd like to hold on to Maskell as long as possible, and I think by the sounds of it, we're going to have him now to the end of the season. Um, so hopefully, that does him some confidence, and we can we can find someone to fill in there for for next year. It's a good point actually about left backs and being able to find them. We've been blessed with some brilliant left backs down the years, from Ahmed Dean to Fraser Shaw, Nathan Green, Jamie Maskell. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'd still be waxing lyrical about Nathan Mavere if he was still with us, because he was starting to build up a bit of form, I thought. Um, but you're right, yeah, it's 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 a spot we've never really troubled to f- had trouble filling. So, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll find someone. Um, so yeah, I think that that rounds off really uh, 90 minutes of mayhem, uh, which was relatively unexpected. Uh, if I'm honest although maybe we should have seen it coming given the Cheltenham Gold Cup rumour I've no doubt that that played a part in it Um, and that uh, that game actually followed uh, a 1-0 defeat at St Albans uh, which really if I'm honest the less said about the better it was nice to go back to St Albans I lived there for a year my first time back there in seven years so it was nice to have a bit of a wander around the town and visit some old haunts before the game. Um, the game itself was decided by an 11th or 12th minute penalty scored by St Albans. The game finished 1-0 and I think in the second half there were no shots on either goal. Is that Am I right in thinking Sounds that? about right. It was a real ordeal of a game. To it was honest. awful. Which is unfortunate because like you say, it's nice, uh, nice city, um, lovely little ground my first visit there and uh, I actually sat in the stand for this one with uh, with Poids and Michael um, but yeah just what was going on on the pitch was was not enjoyable to watch um, I would suggest that St Albans pitch could uh, could use a groundsman and a lawnmower because it seemed incredibly slow and that's probably how they like it because it suits their game but when we were trying to pass it around it just seemed to be moving at a snail's pace like you could not move the ball from one side of the pitch to the other and real really kind of get any urgency behind the performance at all um, 
There was a big penalty shout for us at the end, which I've not seen again, but Anthony Cook seemed convinced that it was a penalty. I think he was so adamant that it was a penalty that he actually got booked after the final whistle for remonstrating with the referee again. But uh, yeah, they, they just gave a free kick and we didn't do anything with that. So yeah, really disappointing result that because he thought, you know, we had that big win against Dartford the week before. Um, I think we all predicted on the on the pod last time that we would at least score in this game, but no, like you say, there was barely even any chances to speak of. You just reminded me. I uh, suggested that Man United might do something at PSG, and uh, look how that turned out. Yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, that makes it one all in predictions now between me yeah. and how accurate we are. Well, um, we we just waved goodbye to Wales Trinidad in the clubhouse, so I that think them. Yep, yeah, I think that may not really merit a prediction. But, uh, you never know. Um, one final thing on St Albans. The highlight for me was, uh, as I mentioned, visiting old haunts, and in particular the Horn, which is a very famous live music uh, pub, very close to the station particularly enjoyable this time um, for me as I saw some of the upcoming bookings, the tribute acts that were uh, approaching, notably Oasis uh, with an H stuck in the middle and uh, The Smythes, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, but a very good pint of Guinness. And uh, although I did go back to the horn after the game and, and got a pint of Guinness and sat down and then you know those away days where you actually think oh fuck maybe I just want to get out of here sat down with that pint and then immediately thought fuck I want to get out of here <laughs> um, so that's the kind of away day it was so if you didn't uh, attend you missed absolutely nothing mm. um, worth saying though that quite a lot of people did attend um, oh, yeah. as I say I was sat in the stand so I had a good view of our our lot behind the goal and it was it was really quite impressive a throng it was a throng and in fact the St Albans fans next to me said like oh like you lot have a great away following like well done for bringing so many up so you know Thames Link Thames Link the Thames Link getting another mention on the pod and uh, yeah delivering the goods from uh, from south to just north of London there's another lovely away day coming up uh, this Saturday it's Oxford City um, and there is absolute, absolutely no point in predicting the outcome of games in this division. Uh, so neither of us have done any research uh, ahead of this game to give you any info ahead of uh, the match. Uh, Oxford is in Oxfordshire <laughs> and Oxford City play in Oxford. They're not Oxford United. Um, what else? They're above us in the table. Are they 11th or 12th maybe? I think quite comfortable. Yeah. Um... But I think it's it's not out of reach, is it? Do you mean in terms of winning the game or getting there? Neither, actually. It's quite a potent combination, that. Um... <laughs> um... How, how do we how do we claw this one back? Um... No, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's silly making predictions when we don't see any other teams unless they come to us. Um, but I think it was pointed out on the forum this week by Richard Watts that we haven't won an away game since the clocks went back. And the clocks are about to go forward. So what does that mean? We won't win a game while the clocks have got been back. Correct. Uh, <laughs> but we might win an away game when they go forward. So, you know... If um, if the equinox is on our side, 
then you know we could be dancing in the streets of Oxford on Saturday night. Uh, I'm only going to say one final thing on this. Uh, there is a supporters coach running. Uh, I think it's 15 quid return, probably leaving Champion Hill around 11 o'clock. So if you don't want to get the train there, you don't want to drive, you don't want to cycle or walk or swim up the Thames, uh, you can get the supporters coach for the pricey sum of £15. So get hold of the Dulwich Hamlet Supporters Trust on any social media channel and book your place. Yeah, uh, Duncan Chapman is always very good, very communicative fella for these sort of things. So him or, like you say, any of the usual channels for that transport service. One little final football-related thing before we move on to some AOB, which I think is next on the agenda. Um, it was interesting to hear Gavin's thoughts after the game, um, the uh, Truro game, about what's been going wrong and why we keep getting ourselves into this muddle. And he pointed to mental strength and um, specifically with, with Luke trying to like use that confidence and build on what he's already done to kind of will us through these games when we end up when we kind of fall into these pitfalls and it reminded me of um another one of my favorite managers Arsene Wenger um who whose style of football has been compared to Dulwich or possibly the other way around um over the years um Dulwich Hamlet the Arsenal of non-league but he, he often has pointed to mental strength as sort of an excuse and a reason as to why his sides, particularly his younger Arsenal sides, would fall on the big stages and not be able to kind of get over the line in title races in after the sort of glory era. And I just wondered what you thought was maybe what's what's wrong with this team? Why have we been so offbeat this season? Uh, my first instinctive reply to that, to Gavin's uh, suggestion about maybe a weakness in mental health mental health sorry um in mentality um is it sounds quite contradictory to me if you spend a good portion of the season publicly criticizing specific players in interviews after games and then expect them to have the resilience to pull through in games where they're up against it. If you want, I think, if you want players to believe in themselves and to have some sort of reserve to draw on when the shit's hitting the fan, personally, I think my reaction would be to think of some of the comments that he's made previously and think, oh, fuck, I don't have it in me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think there is something to be said for that. His style of kind of quite publicly dressing down players, this sort of cruel to be kind mentality, I don't think has really worked. I don't remember Wenger ever doing that. No, and I I think Wenger's Wenger's difference and, you know, kind of a credit to the man is that he would always sort of bear the brunt of a bad performance. And he, he, I don't think- Almost like a dad, like covering for his son. Yeah, and apart from maybe ill discipline and it would have had to have been like, probably something serious that had even happened outside of a game he would never like publicly hang out a player to dry he would always take responsibility for a performance or kind of pin it to a sort of more abstract thing like mental strength which I still don't think anyone really knows what it actually means when Wenger spoke about it but 
I think Gavin has started to see that that style of of public criticism doesn't really work. And apart from what we've kind of talked about in the past about how when he transferred to still those players, the only one who's really driven on from that was Anthony Cook, who's kind of come back a more a player with more fight. But I think it's one thing to maybe have a go with someone in training if they fuck up or whatever, but to the media you've really got to back them and give them confidence because we need to dig deep and they did dig deep on, on Saturday but it wasn't after a lot of cock-ups before that I've actually it's just come to my mind thinking of another um, prestigious figure in recent English football history Sean Dyche at Burnley has brought up that club from the championship and created a side that's greater than some of its parts and I can't remember a time where he has suffered a defeat or a run of defeats and turned on his players. He just seems to be the most, I might be wrong in this, but from what I've seen, this is purely, almost purely basing it on match of the day. And that's basically what I see in the Premier League these days. He is almost annoyingly positive, even if they've lost 6-0 at the Etihad. He is so positive, even if there's been so many individual errors, mistakes, um, he will back his players to the hill and he'll pull some sort of positive out of it almost to the point like I say that it's not really believable but I can't remember him ever pushing anyone under the bus do no, you know what I mean? No um, and I, I think if you're I think there's there's huge value in doing that but I can't remember this season Gavin doing that really I can't remember us playing badly and losing getting the result we probably deserved and Gavin not being down on the players or giving quite short shrift to Bale in the in the post-match interviews or you know I, I, he's, that's just the kind of guy he is like there's different approaches and I just think his approach is almost the opposite of Deitch mm. yeah there, there is um, he does still um, generate a loyalty though and that obviously works both ways because I think Dipak and Yemi wouldn't be at this club if Gavin didn't see something in him and, you know, want him to succeed. And Dipo obviously kind of feels like he's the right manager to be under to, to get to where he wants to be. So I think it kind of works both ways, isn't it? Tricky one. We'll see how the players pull up on Saturday in Oxford, I guess. They, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Stringing two results together that's been the biggest problem this season. And uh, I just hope that the Saturday... In a way, to a point, it didn't really feel like a victory. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In, 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 although in one sense, it felt like a huge win. It also felt yeah. like, oh man, that's covered a really it, patchy performance. Obviously, the winner was was euphoric, but it didn't feel like that. The final whistle, more just a sigh of relief, wasn't yeah. it? Like that was exhausting. Yeah. Well, um, that's I think recent games uh, and upcoming games covered. Um, there's a few in the, uh, a few other bits of AOB, as Hugo mentioned. Uh, I suppose the main one is that uh, this week I found time to update our online merchandise store. Uh, so back in the day, maybe three or four years ago, um, we used to put a relatively large amount of effort. Hugo's just pulling out a piece of paper which is linked to AOB, if you can hear that in the background. We used to um, put in a relatively large amount of effort into um, producing for the Hamlet garments, including scarves, t-shirts, 
various other bits and pieces. We've neglected it uh, massively over recent years, primarily uh, due to not having the time to do it and also the Supporters Trust and the football club themselves also really pushing their own merchandise, which is far better than anything we ever did. Um, however, as an independent fan, um, I suppose, viewpoint or outlet, we are in a position where we can produce slightly different items of clothing. Yeah. Um, so this week I've taken it upon myself to refresh our store. There's a massively increased range, including um, loads of new bits for women and kids and dogs. Yes. There is a dog bandana, of which we have already sold three, and I only updated the, the site 24 hours ago. Um, there are a few new designs. There's an Ashley Carew design. Um, it's our standard text logo, but instead of For the Hamlet, it says... Ashley Carew, Mia Moore, uh, of which we've already sold two. I might have bought one of them, that's beside the point. Um, there's updated classics as well, so you can just get our big logo on the front. You can get the DHFC hardcore logo on the left of the chest as well, that's another option. There's a few bits with the big ball logo on. Um, and also, for the next couple of days before the weekend, if you use the code SPRING20, uh, when you're checking out with your uh, purchases, you get 20% off. That's on short-sleeved items only, so no long-sleeve bits. But for all your T-shirts, use that code and you'll get 20% off. Yeah, and uh, if you are one of the dogs who bought a very nice neckerchief and you're listening, do come and say hello uh, at the next game. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in your new attire. Um, but yeah, all rather exciting, and um, yeah, Ben's done a great job with it. We might even have a few more designs in the next couple of weeks, if you're lucky. Yeah, absolutely. We're already working on a few. Um, what was I going to say? Something about the shop, and it's completely left my brain. Might come to me in a second. I can't think. That's annoying. Oh, yeah, that was it. All profits uh, from the sales of the shirts, of which they're not particularly large, go towards um, either recording equipment for the, this podcast or any kind of um, sponsorship related to Dulwich Hamlet, whether that's us sponsoring a player, a match ball, a match, something in the programme, anything like that, which is always what it used to be as well. Yeah, this, this may be news to, to some newer listeners, but... A few years ago, uh, Dulwich actually auctioned off um, the, the shirt sponsor and we had an amazing um, sort of groundswell of support to uh, to try and get our name of for the Hamlet onto the player's shirt. Fortunately, we didn't get through in the raffle, but um, it was nice to see so many people support what we've been doing. And I think, yeah, in the in the sales so far, it's nice to see uh, some of you buying the merch already. And please, uh, please take a look because you never know what you might find for your your pal or your pooch or your pa <laughs> or your ma. Um, we do love seeing it, um, seeing the For the Hamlet logo and our bits of clothing that we've designed down the years. We still see it at games occasionally, very occasionally. It's slightly worn now because people have got some good use out of them, but it still does bring us quite a lot of joy to see it. Um, so if you do purchase something, let us know and do wear it to a game. Um, Tweet us a photo, whatever you absolutely, like. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Let us know you've uh, you've got involved. And uh, to find the shop, the link is in the bio of our Instagram page. 
uh, and we've also tweeted it as well. Uh, and if you Google uh, Ford the Hamlet spread shirt, you will find the online store. Uh, so it's it's that easy. Um, I think that's enough promo for our shit for yep. now. Um, Hugo, there's something which you wanted to mention, which is upcoming. Yes. So a week today, uh, Wednesday the 27th of March at 7, uh, Football and War is an evening of lectures and talks that will be taking place in the clubhouse. Uh, this is an event that's been put on by Steve Hunnisett, who's a big Dulwich fan and uh, a good friend of ours. Um, and there's going to be a number of talks. Jack McEnroy, uh, we'll be talking about Hussein Hagazi. Jack's actually been on on this podcast before and talked about Hussein Hagazi, but um, from my scraping together my knowledge of what he what he did, he was the first African player to play in England, an Egyptian guy. I think he also did he go on to play for Ajax? Or am I confusing? He, he scored against Ajax scored against for Dulwich yeah. when we toured um, the Netherlands. I think in nineteen fourteen or fifteen. I might be wrong there, but he also played for Zamalek and El Atli. So that's it. The big the big boys in Egypt. The big two in Cairo. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an amazing story and um, re- a real legend from from uh, the history of the the club. Then Roger Deason will be talking about Dulwich Hamlet during the First World War, 1914 to 1919. Steve Hunnisett will be speaking about Dulwich Hamlet in the Second World War, 1939 to 1945. Uh, then Tim Godden will be talking about footballers of the Great War. Um, he, I think, is the, the illustrator who's done those drawings that are kind of based on little uh, portrait cards. Um, so he'll be talking the, um, the stories behind those drawings. And then Professor Gary Sheffield, we're talking about football, the British Army and the First World War. So it's a whole evening of talks um, to do with not just Dulwich, but football history in general. And um, if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, do come along and um, say hi to Steve and the gang. Free to attend and the bar is open. Um, Speaking of the bar at Dulwich Hamlet, uh, this Friday there is a pool tournament organised by the one and only Sexy Dave. Uh, there's not too much info about it, mainly because there's just one tweet, so I do hope it is actually happening, but take this as gospel because uh, he has tweeted about it. But it's this Friday, 16 players, uh, round-robin style, £3 in, £50 first prize, £15 for second place. Uh, it starts at half past seven, so maybe get down here for seven, half six, lubricate a little bit. Maybe get some practice in before it starts, and uh, you could be in with a chance of winning fifty pounds. Yeah, um, I think that's it, isn't it, for AOB? Um, I did actually just want to uh, finish on something which is quite close to my heart. After spending my formative years playing Pro Evolution Soccer, um, this week as I've been designing a few new bits for the aforementioned online store, I've been playing around with our um, our main logo a bit. Uh, and as I was doing it, I recalled a conversation I had with a few friends the other week who uh, named Dulwich Hamlet uh, East Dulwich United, which I thought was uh, quite funny at the time. And uh, I think at the time we did say, oh, you know, that's a bit of a, a pro-evolution soccer vibe. Uh, and then also, again, a, a friend this week suggested um, that we might be known as the South London Pinks, 
which I also quite liked. Um, another uh, idea was that we were just called Southwark. Yeah, repping um, repping the borough as always. Yeah, and another was Dulwich City FC. Um, <laughs> so there's four options there. So you've got East Dulwich United, South London Pinks, Southwark, and Dulwich City FC. And if you're thinking, what the hell are they talking about? Essentially, Pro Evolution Soccer, um, for as long as uh, time, has struggled <laughs> to, uh, I suppose, wrestle the Premier League licensing rights from FIFA. And so instead of, um, I don't know, uh, Aston Villa being named Aston Villa in the game, you'd have West Midlands Village. Uh, and instead of uh, Watford, you'd actually just have Hertfordshire. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole county. Which was always a favourite of mine. So that's where this came from. And I posted this on Instagram earlier. And uh, we've had some great comments uh after I posted it, including, and this is what reminded me to bring it up, um, Steve Hunnisett, uh just strolled straight through and without even breaking sweat, just dropped Dog Kennel Rovers, which... Uh, That's excellent, isn't it? Yeah, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, there's another one from uh, Mr. David Wilcox, who's a Bristol Rovers fan, who's been a listener of the podcast. Uh, I since think that... I think since the first episode who uh, dropped which Dalton village which uh, I'm going to be honest I think that needs a bit of work but he then did um, give himself a bit of credit uh, with South London aubergines which I quite liked that is quite good yeah um, what would be your choice um, I quite like Steve's suggestion uh, Honestly, I think that's better than any of the ones yeah, that I. Yeah. Um, I do also quite like Southwark. So do I. <laughs> so there you go. Um, we also, on previous episodes, used to uh, give a bit of a shout out to our social media channels. So we should probably start doing that again. We're on Instagram at Ford Hamlet. Uh, sorry, Ford the Hamlet. We're on Twitter at Ford Hamlet. And we're also on Facebook. That's Ford the Hamlet. Um, so do give us a follow if you're on any of those social media channels um, I think that's it this is the For The Hamlet podcast which has been brought to you by myself Ben Sibley and Hugo Greenhouse yep uh, thanks as always for ploughing on listening we totted up we got over 500 listens on the last podcast which um, we find pretty remarkable so um, yeah who knew that chatting shit about non-league football and uh a club night in Torquay could go down so well but um, if you got this far thank you and um, yeah we'll, we'll catch you next time thank you very much guys and uh, we'll see you soon bye it'll be nice if all teams went out and played like swaggering dandies as the Hamlet do an absolute humdinger from about 25 yards get it Swaggering dandies, an absolute pump dingers. <laughs>